The Naive Theater of the Air presents Rewired by Matthew Broyles. Episode 16, Here Be Dragons. Harry wished he could drive. Of all the rites of passage that the secession had stricken from youth, learning to drive was one that had always rankled Harry. Cars were rare and largely unnecessary in Brooklyn, not to mention expensive. It hadn't even been mentioned when Harry came of age. The idea was too far-fetched to merit consideration. Drive? Drive where? To fucking Texas, he thought now. Stuck in shotgun steerage as his old man barreled down the gray freeway. It had been some time since his dad had driven, and there was a disturbing mixture of release and terror present in Lars's body language as he navigated around 18-wheelers and pickup trucks at speeds varying wildly between fast and too fast. He had the strange and improbable Andrea to thank for the ride being as smooth as it was. The rental company responded to her name reverently, and kitted them out in a smooth German sedan, both classy and unpretentious. The circumstance freaked both of them out, but the sense that their window of opportunity was rapidly closing put the kibosh on any second guesswork. A quick trip to Mal's shop of choice supposedly disabled the tracking device earlier that morning, and they'd hit the road promptly thereafter. There was the little matter of the zombied wires they were hauling around, still accessible to the wired authorities pretty much anywhere they went. They had briefly discussed dumping them once they left their last biggish town on the route, but Mal was uneasy about that. He had experience with small-town cops. In his opinion, any random pullovers would happen there, rather than anywhere big enough to boast more than one stoplight. However, if they kept their present identities, the border crossing was sure to be found by anyone tracking their signals, placing any future travelers in peril. In the end, Mal dug out two wires he had been holding in reserve, and swapped them out behind the garage while the tracking chip in the car got knocked offline. Harry, for one, was glad to be free of Arvind. Kelly Hudson was infinitely preferable. Lars got Jim Venrick, who despite allegedly being ten years older than the sergeant, was nondescript enough for their purposes. Old Jim sure had a lead foot, Harry thought, as another truck passed into their rearview mirrors. You know, they have speed limits in these places. Yeah, they also have agents who set rewired fugitives up for capture. The faster we get out of their territory, the better, and I doubt Mr. Venrick has any outstanding warrants. I personally don't give a shit if he gets a speeding ticket. Harry let it go. He was becoming rather good at letting things go. He lacked the appropriate psychoactive medication for any other approach. He knew from the map, a real paper map that they had found at a hillbilly gas station in Arkansas, to his astonishment, they were taking the long way around. Not that there was a short way to get anywhere in Texas. Growing up in Brooklyn, his sense of geography operated on blocks, not counties. City limit signs with names like Sulphur Springs and Farmersville came and went, leaving very little distinction from the general landscape in their wake. He had seen this sort of prairie desolation in movies before, but in the flesh it induced a sort of paranoia in him. There was nowhere to hide, and yet so many places to get lost. They had passed the last proper town many miles ago by the time dusk began to fall. The time between seeing other vehicles on the narrow roads was lengthening. 
Harry felt the urge to suggest dropping their wires here, but in the absence of knowing what lay ahead, he knew it was a risk they couldn't take. The pocket navigation unit they'd procured at a Texarkana truck stop indicated a turn ahead that was not on their map. Indeed, they had gone off the map an hour or so previously, but as the nav arrow guided them off the paved road onto a faint dirt track, Harry felt the vehicle slipping out of the known world and into a land of scripted calligraphy reading, Here Be Dragons. The sky disappeared above them as they descended into a scrub tree valley. The ruts in the roughly cut road deepened, and their car fought to keep itself a drive. There were no lights whatsoever, save for those emanating from the car. A hand-carved chunk of wood hung unevenly on a tree trunk, bearing the legend, Copperhead Road. Harry dearly hoped that Mal knew what the fuck he was talking about. Presently they emerged from a tunnel of trees into a small clearing, the far side of which showed the darkened outline of an old wooden cabin. Checking the nav unit, Harry deduced this was their destination. But from what he could tell, no one was home. Lars warily pulled the car up a few yards from the front porch. It was the first time Harry had ever heard light, a sudden blaze from all directions, blinding them instantly. Harry threw his arms up to protect his eyes. Lars did likewise with one arm and reached for a pistol with the other. Don't fucking shoot! At least until we can fucking see something! The old man didn't reply and instead hunkered down in the car. Nothing outside was becoming any clearer, although Harry could now make out four distinct sources of the all-encompassing glow. One on each side of the vehicle. With a snarl of static, the car's radio sprung to life. A voice clanged through the speakers. 120 seconds. That's how long you have before you get shot dead and buried in the woods. That's how long you get to change my mind. And if you shoot first, there are longer roads we can take to your grave. Shit. We'll tell you whatever you want. We're just trying to get across the border. A lot of folks want to go across. Not everybody gets to. State your business. The clock's ticking. I'm Sergeant Lars Selden, Brooklyn Defense Force. This is Harry Selden, my son. We have been sent here by the Vorn Elimination Front to pass through into Texas and find Dr. Waylon Lilly, who we have reason to believe is still alive. We seek his medical advice do not pose any threat to you or the Republic of Texas. Harry gawked at his father. Giving up the whole story to a faceless voice wouldn't have been his first inclination. But then there hadn't been much time to run through alternatives. The radio was silent for a pregnant moment. You just bought yourself some time. Step out of the car and throw all weapons on the ground. Any bullshit, I shoot. With that, the light directly in front of them abruptly powered down. They were still well illuminated but not painfully so. He and Harry opened the doors slowly and got to their feet. Lars threw his gun to the grass a few yards away, and Harry emptied his pockets for good measure. Change, money clip, even a couple of cough drops. He wouldn't risk any bulges being mistaken for concealed armament. Up ahead by the house which now gave off a faint glow from within, a tall, lanky silhouette grew larger in their vision. Whatever weapon it was carrying was sizable and deadly-looking, However, it was not presently trained on them. Harry took that as a good sign. The man stopped, just short of where the floodlights could catch him. Either of y'all friends of Jeff Horton? Never heard of him. How about you, G.I. Joe? Lars did not bristle outwardly, although Harry knew exactly what he was thinking. and was grateful for the old man's control over his temper. Not for the first time, he also privately thanked Dr. Vinson for the dampening amulet. At least all the potential threats here were things that actually existed. I have no knowledge of that name. Well, that's one thing going for you. Harry had just embarked on the path of deciding that this wasn't his time to go, 
when suddenly they all became aware of a roaring engine coming up the road they had just traveled. The man in the shadows snapped his weapon up into firing position, aimed in their general direction. It was everything Harry could do not to pee himself. Not now, he thought, not like this, not when they were so close. A sedan pulled abruptly into the floodlit clearing next to theirs. Its headlights illuminated the figure before them, a raw-boned, gray-headed man in camouflage overalls, holding an enormous rifle, now trained squarely at the newly arrived vehicle. Ricky, it's mist. Deep shit, very deep. These boys won't hurt you and we need to talk. Now. Lowering the weapon as quickly as he'd raised it, Ricky cast a wary glance at the Seldons before rushing over to the newcomer's car. A thin old man in a dark brown fedora emerged, shaking his head. You know these two, Shadow Man? I do now. You gotta switch these lights off and turn on the perimeter defenses. It's happening. They're almost here. Are you shitting me now? My truck's up on blocks. You know I don't dick around. We're at ground zero here, and we need to get the fuck across that border. The weathered hillbilly needed no more convincing. Suddenly he was off, running towards the house. The old man rushed over to Lars. Sergeant, my name's Mist. I apologize for the abrupt meeting, but we're out of time. I'm afraid the United States is after you for war crimes. They want you alive, but probably wouldn't be against bringing you to Washington in a pine box either. How do you know this? I'm a friend of Mal's. We have our sources. Shit. Choppers, we need cover. He rushed forward and grabbed his pistol, just before the bright lights powered down all around them. The illumination from within the house had gone out as well, and as he and Harry's eyes adjusted to the darkness, they made their way haphazardly towards the shadow of the trees. Mist ran back to his car, starting it but keeping the lights off. He drove around to the back of the house. Harry and Lars followed the sound. They heard assorted bumping sounds coming from inside the dilapidated dwelling. Far away, Harry swore he heard the rumble of an explosion. The back door burst open. Ricky, cradling an old brown basset hound, rushed to the car and deposited the dog in the front passenger seat. Come on now. I ain't leaving him in the back seat with these assholes. Ricky turned around, running back inside. He wore a series of belts and straps, brimming with ammunition and grenades. Harry didn't have so much as a pocket knife, but he guessed that in the present circumstance, one more gun in the party wouldn't amount to much difference. He cleared his throat in the direction of the man named Mist, who looked at him for the first time in the dimness. Can we get all the way to the border in this thing? If we're lucky, it'll get us halfway there. That shaves off some time and gets us closer to the Republic Army emplacements. They may be able to clean off our air escort. Harry blanched. Bullets from ahead and behind. This could go wrong easily. What's that? Ricky's had nearly three decades to turn this acreage into a minefield. It'll slow the ground forces down for a while. But if we don't get our asses in gear, those choppers will take us out before we can get much lead on the grunts. Through the door, Ricky emerged, bristling with weaponry. Go, go, go! Crowding into the front with the hound, Ricky tossed assorted guns back into the space between the Seldons. Harry's sphincter clenched as he quickly fumbled to find the safety on each piece as it landed. Mist hit the gas and they were thrown back in their chairs. There was no longer any road, just the bumpy spaces between trees. He risked turning on the parking lights for fear of a head-on collision. Ricky was quickly dictating directions through the woods. A little worn tire trail appeared before them, and Mist made his way carefully down it. Well behind them, Harry could see spotlights shining from the helicopters. He didn't know how long it would take to pinpoint the car amongst all the trees. However, he was certain if they did, the trip would be over in moments. Lars took hold of the largest gun between them, and checked it. Finding it loaded, he took a breath and set his jaw. 
Whatever disaster lay ahead, he would go down fighting. Harry knew that. Somewhat less deftly, Harry lifted a small pistol into his lap. He didn't need anything bigger than that weighing him down when it came time to run. In the front seat, Ricky was tense. His tenure in the wired world had just come to an abrupt end. If they made it to the border, he knew Haley would find a place for him in the Republic, much as it would pain him to ask for the cussed colonel's benevolence. Truth be told, he would probably have stood his ground if it hadn't been for Danny. It sounded silly when he thought about it, but the old mutt was the only piece of gibbous shit he had left in the world. He patted the dog's belly to reassure him. Glad I didn't bring the bands. Danny's too good for your fucking bands, ain't you, boy? You send the beep to Haley? It's away. Harry took in the pair. It occurred to him that he knew absolutely nothing about either of them, aside from Mist's claim that he was a friend of Mal's. Of Ricky, he knew that Mal had sent them to him. But then he knew almost nothing about Mal. He reminded himself that if the two men in the front were working for the Wireds, they could easily have captured him and his dad back at the house. Whoever they were, they were no friends of Washington. The road became bumpier. Miss drove carefully, squinting to see in the dim glow of the parking lights. Shadow Man, you gotta be straight with me. How'd you know about this? Ricky, you know I got my ear to the ground. That's the only way either one of us is still alive. I know, but it's just... Shit's weird all of a sudden. And here you are all up in the middle of it. You trying to say something? After I just dragged your ass out of the goddamn apocalypse? You want to tell me something? You know, I never did find out how you even tracked me down out here. That's fucking weird, man. Maybe you had a few things to learn about covering your tracks back then. I won't lie. I was collecting tickets like a motherfucker. And you were one of them. Then I kept you safe all these years? Soldier man, you're the one they're coming after, right? I'm afraid so. Sorry. And you ain't never met this motherfucker in your life, have you? The old man stopped the car. Harry's insides tightened. He glanced back at the spotlights from above, still sweeping the acreage behind them. Lars stiffened. Miss turned to look Ricky straight in the eyes. I got two choices right now, Cutler. Either I jump over that border with you and that fucking stank-ass dog on board, or I knock the both of you out the door right now and take these two gentlemen and myself to safety so you can duke it out with the man alone in the woods. You savvy? I know some shit about you, Shadow Man. I remember New Orleans. That's funny, because I know some shit about you, too. If you ain't noticed, I'm still the only motherfucker who knows it. Fucking helicopters are coming for us right now! Seconded, can we cut the chatter? Ricky backed down into a sulk. Mist turned slowly back to the wheel, and they began moving again. They rode for a while in silence, save for the whining of the Basset Hound, and the muffled chop of helicopter blades through the icy winter air. At last they came to a low creek. With effort, a truck could have gotten across it, but the sedan was clearly not up for the task. This is it. Another half hour walk and we'll be at the border. When we get to the drop point, I'll give the signal. But the Republic Army may not want to wait for that. Anyone comes at you from the front, you surrender. If they're behind, you shoot them. Lead on. They stepped out into the frigid night. Harry set his jaw on an approximation of his father's. No, he thought. His grandfather's. He might go down, but not without a fight. He cocked his pistol and followed the mysterious shadow man into the blackness. One thing Levi Haley had learned about war 
there was never enough time to grieve. He had been given official notice of Levine's death by the hospital doctors an hour previously. They asked if he wanted some time with the body. He didn't. Instead, he took one of the trucks and drove to a bluff above town. The colonel sat and stared at the modest town of Mineral Wells, another pockmark of attempted civilization in the land that his few Native American ancestors once traveled. He felt much more kinship with them than with his European forebears. In the Wichita culture, there was an understanding of man's place in nature. Certainly there were differences between them about man's place among man, but with the land and its bounty, they always kept a balance. In these times, man had decided to overrule nature, and Haley had agreed, had fought for the idea. That was the hell of it. Try to explain that one to the ancestors. The crumbling shadow of the Baker Hotel rose ponderously above the town. In its heyday, the posh rooms were occupied by presidents and movie stars. They came from far and wide to sample the healing effects of the famous mineral water that passed for medicine in those days. Science and common sense ultimately had their way. The hotel had fitful revivals for decades, as no one could bring themselves to bulldoze the husk. Haley felt that he himself could be described as a husk. He was not the man he used to be. Hadn't been for quite some time and the force that had held him up, had kept him from being put out to pasture, was now gone. If he had any sense, Haley would tender his resignation that afternoon, spend the rest of his days fishing and carving knife handles. He almost cried in joy at the thought, but there was never a good time. Some foolish and dangerous bastard was always waiting in the wings with a match, and Haley could not help but stamp the fire out. He was like an old greyhound, powerless not to chase the rabbit as it raced by. He knew he would never retire, no matter who dearly wished that he would. He had his father's curse. He was smart enough to see that the world was bound for hell, but he couldn't just stand by and let it go over the cliff if there was even one square foot of rope he could use to tie it down for a few more minutes. He worried about what would happen when he wasn't around anymore. Delusions of grandeur, perhaps. Still, he thought not. In the midst of his reverie, he became aware of Major Gonzalez's voice on the radio. With effort, he forced his mind back into the moment. It was always an uncomfortable fit. Cottonmouth here. I'm sorry to bother you, sir. I know. Levine's death was a blow to Gonzalez, too. All the senior officers on the base were tight. Had to be, given what they'd been through together. It's a damn shame. Affirmative, sir. Cottonmouth, we've got serious movement stateside toward the entry zone. Heavy load. Request security status code 110, sir. Haley's heart sank. Their last clear passage to the outside world had been compromised. He could bet that the VEF bastards and their loose lips were responsible for it. Even now, he knew that the council halls must be reverberating with the news from Fort Walters. He hoped the disciples, his last resort countermeasure, were keeping the governors sufficiently hamstrung for him to do what he needed to. Which he was going to do anyway. Coach Whip, security status is code 110. Cottonmouth out. Colonel took a deep breath, then switched frequencies. Concho, this is Cottonmouth. Come in. Concho here, sir. Over. Anything to report? Negative, sir. He released his breath, feeling foolish. He knew damn well that Graham didn't fuck around. The fact that she was several decades younger sometimes made him forget that. Maybe things wouldn't completely fall apart after he left the stage. Not that he would be around to find out. Coach Whip will be in touch momentarily. 
Previous orders stand until I arrive, over. Roger that. En route now. Cottonmouth out. Haley drove down to Stephenville in a quantum fog. Turning points on all sides. So close that their alternate outcomes still lingered on the edge of his perception. In time, this version of reality would harden, become fact. What ifs would become academic, fodder for dithering eggheads like Lily. But right now, on this day, reality was fluid. The man who had picked him up from his house that morning no longer existed, and the day wasn't even over yet. As he pulled into the base, the effect of his orders was evident. Heavy artillery and truckloads of troops streamed in the opposite direction towards Mineral Wells, towards Armageddon. Captain Perez was waiting for him at the curb in front of the main office, clearly shaken. Haley got out and they exchanged salutes. Captain, I need to see Lieutenant Graham. Of course, sir. Come with me. They hopped in a golf cart and trundled over towards the brig. Haley said nothing and hoped the captain would follow his cue. He didn't. Sir, if I may speak freely. You may. I realize that nothing I say can lessen the impact of Major Levine's death. That's true. But on behalf of the men here, I want you to know that you are not alone in your sorrow. Please let me know if there's anything I can do. You're already doing it. I appreciate your concern, and even more so your efficiency. The captain nodded, satisfied. He wasn't a bad man, the colonel thought. Still, his mind fought to repress a memory that even now might force him to laugh inappropriately. Levine's spot-on imitation of Captain Perez at the San Angelo officer's Christmas party two months prior. Maybe they'd been a little too drunk. Haley had gotten so irritated even at a simulacrum of the mealy-mouthed Perez that he leapt up and slapped Levine in the face. They had all fallen down giggling like teenagers. Now the memory was bittersweet, which was fortunate under the circumstances. Entering the brig, Haley was spotted and approached by a thin, oily man in a pinstripe suit. Lawyer at 50 paces. He had one of those thin mustaches that either grew naturally on questionable men or were deliberately cultivated by them. The colonel stopped in the hallway, lest he give the men a chance to interrupt his passage. 30 seconds. Colonel Haley, I'm Robert Cal, Cal and Associates. Of course you are. Colonel, I'm simply here to ensure my client, Mr. Horton, receives due process under the law. Knowing as I do, you respect for the rights of our citizens. Mr. Horton waived certain of those rights when he decided to launch a paramilitary offensive in a border crossing zone. How's your grasp of military law? The activities to which you refer were explicitly sanctioned by Governor Milan. When the president does it, that means it's not illegal? Beg your pardon, Colonel? Nixon. I suppose they didn't teach history in law school. No, Colonel. What we are taught is precedent. And in this case, there's ample precedent for executive orders to countermand outdated laws. Is there now? Well, I suppose you can spend the next few years hashing that out in the council court. In the meantime, I have an interview to conduct with your client. Sir, it is essential by law for me to accompany you. Essential? I wouldn't use that word. Colonel Haley, we've come a long way since the reclamation. We have laws, and the only way we get to keep them is if they are respected by our citizens and public servants alike. Actually, Mr. Cowell, the only way we're going to keep anything at all is if I can extract every ounce of information that Mr. Horton has managed to squeeze into his tiny pinned head so that I can defend this republic against the hell he has unleashed on our border. That's an outrageous accusation in the absence of any evidence for such an allegation. You know... You may be right, Mr. Cowell. When the history of this republic is written, there will likely be a chapter on me. Supposing it had been written even a day ago, we both know how it would read. But after today, the fact is, if I had been standing two feet to my right this afternoon, 
you would now be talking to Colonel Curtis Levine, the newly appointed commander of the Republic Army. But fate, or bad marksmanship, or whatever forces whipped into motion by the Abilene VEF, decreed that you are now talking to me. And to be honest with you, I have no idea what I'm about to do. Colonel Levine would have had an answer for you, and a good one. But you don't get to find that out. For that, you can thank Jeff Horton whenever you see him next. Good luck on your trial, Mr. Cowell. You'll be hearing from Governor Milam today. Won't that be a joy? Haley stepped around the sputtering attorney and proceeded towards the solitary confinement unit. He passed through the security doors, which slammed shut behind him. Lieutenant Graham stood outside the farthest two cells, towards which he walked, shaking off the verbal dust scattered by the VEF lawyer. Captain Perez was unusually quiet by his side. Either of them said anything? Horton, no, but the kid wants to talk to you. Haley shook his head. Poor stupid bastard. Let's go see what he knows. I'll take this one alone. In the center of the windowless steel box sat a table and two chairs. The furthermost chair was occupied by a lanky, pockmarked youth, surely no older than twenty. His hands made busy, futile motions with themselves as he fought to make eye contact with the colonel. Unkempt hair stuck out at random angles from under his camouflage hunting cap. Haley walked slowly over to the empty chair opposite the prisoner, sat down quietly. He allowed a moment to pass before saying anything. Whatever the kid said, and Haley was sure he would talk plenty, it needed to be accurate. If he was too scared, he might be prone to exaggeration, or omission, and that could prove deadly. What's your name, son? Uh, Curtis Bayer, sir. Curtis. I had a good friend by that name. You from Abilene? Uh, yes, sir. I mean, lately. Used to live in Throckmorton until my mom died. I'm sorry to hear about that. When did she pass? Last summer, she got real sick. The doctor couldn't help. Uncle Jeff says the, the Vorn took her. Do you think that's what happened? Ain't no way to tell, but nobody's come up with any better ideas. Sometimes you don't get a good explanation, and that's hard to take. The, the thing is, I can't even believe I'm sitting here talking to you. You're like the king badass of the damned republic. I just do my job. Colonel, I, I swear, I never meant to get crossways with somebody like you. But Mom died and shit just started happening. I moved in with Uncle Jeff and he got me into the VEF. Then one day, there I am going to pick up some seer from Brooklyn. I didn't for a minute think it would turn into all that. Mr. Baird, you know that I believe you 100%. I, I would never lie to you, Colonel. I believe that too. That's why I'm talking to you right now. We have a problem and I know you can help us, but we need to make it snappy. Now, how many VEF units do you reckon are still out in those woods? After the gunfight, none. Ain't nobody in that group stupid enough to stay around after something like that. 50 bucks says they're back in Abilene by now. I agree, but I'm glad to hear it from you. Now, here's the tricky part. And I'm letting you in on state secrets here, so you have to be straight with me. Barely an hour after that firefight, the wired forces on the other side of the line started the major shift towards the Fort Walters crossing zone. Uh, holy shit. Uh, sorry, sir. Language. No, holy shit is exactly right. So what I need to know from you is this. Has the Abilene VEF been in contact with anyone on the outside in the last 24 hours? Byers' gaze turned inward. He was obviously searching frantically for some recollection, anything that would put him in Haley's confidence. 
This was where things could go wrong. I need you to be sure. If you don't know, just say you don't know. It's possible that they've been keeping you in the dark deliberately, which is no fault of yours. Uh, Uncle Jeff's only been talking to his guys. But I do know where he keeps his net connection. That's good. What do you know about Laura Selden? Not much. Just that he's supposed to be some kind of super powerful seer from up east. Uncle Jeff thought it was him we were waiting for out there. You saw us come out with two women? Yes, sir. That's all right. They're also from up east. Selden is still en route. They're going to get captured. I certainly hope not. We're sending everything we can spare out to Fort Walters. Do you really think it's like they say? That they can wire them up and take out the Vorn? To tell you the truth, son, I couldn't give two shits about the Vorn right now. The fact is there are U.S. Army forces massing on our border. They've had 28 years to monitor us and to come up with tactics. So far, this is the only hot spot, but it could be a feint. We could be looking at the end of the Republic. The hell we are, Colonel. If you need soldiers, I'll volunteer. I'm not letting them wired bastards take my home. I appreciate that, Mr. Bear. I tell you this. At the present time, the best thing you can do for us is to help find out if any sensitive information has passed between the VEF and Washington. That is something that no one else but you can assist us with. Are you ready to serve your republic? Yes, sir. You're a good man, son, and a good Texan. I do wish I could say the same about your uncle, but I'm sure you know he's going to be in here for a long time. I'm, I'm sorry he's like that. Son, we all have choices to make, and you made the right one in the end. Captain Perez will be in here momentarily to take down all the information you can give him about the VEF's activities and base of operations. If you cooperate with him the same way you've cooperated with me, and if everything you provide checks out, your fate will not be the same as your uncle's. Thank you, sir. I know you may feel like you're turning your back on your family, and I know you're worried about what the VEF will do when you get out of here. Ain't really got much family left, but the VEF's everywhere. I know that. Believe me, I do. But if you help us, I can guarantee you a civilian job with base quarters on any military installation you choose. It won't be glamorous, but it'll be safe. I appreciate that, Colonel. And if we make it out of this morass alive, I can have the best doctor in the Republic take a look into your mother's death. I know that's small comfort, but it may help bring some closure. Good as you've been to me, Colonel. I don't think there's any doctor anywhere who knows enough about the Vorn to give me a good answer. You may be right, but it never hurt anyone to try. I'll think about it. Thank you, Curtis. Captain Perez opened the steel door. Haley stepped out into the hallway. You heard? We'll get right on it. Good. And see if you can get anything out of Horton. He might crack yet. Keep me apprised. I have one more visit to make before I head to the fort. Lieutenant, lead on. Graham took off towards the service exit of the brig, bypassing the lawyer and anyone else who may have collected in the office. Haley followed her. They entered through the back door of the adjoining building. It was technically an office, but it had been locked down. Two doors down from the back of the hall, Graham clicked a lock open. Haley entered the lounge to find Golding lying spacey-eyed and drooling on the couch. Her body was motionless, eerily so. Dr. Vincent sat stiffly on a bar stool, drinking a mug of coffee. The colonel averted his gaze from the young woman. Miss Golding goes through this from time to time. I could give you a full explanation, but we can probably just call them episodes for now. She'll recover soon. Haley walked over to the cabinet, pouring his own cup of coffee. He settled onto a bar stool. He felt tired. More tired than he ever remembered feeling in his life. There was still so much to do. Lieutenant Graham told me about your friend, Major Levine. 
I'm very sorry to hear of his passing. I assure you, I had no idea. I certainly hope not. Dr. Vinson, I'm going to give you the situation in black and white, and we'll see if you can help me color it in. A little over an hour after you, Miss Golding, passed through Fort Walters, U.S. Army forces began converging on the land surrounding the entry point. Mr. Cutler's place. I know. I don't like him either. But for the last week or so up until this afternoon, he was our only viable regular transit link with the outside world. As of now, that route is compromised. Tell me Sergeant Selden got here before us. Our intel says that he is likely still en route. I knew it! That idiot son of his is slowing him down. I said he shouldn't be allowed to go. I told his them. son? Harry Selden. A useless pustule on the VEF's ass. I wanted him to stay in Brooklyn and help on the hacker side, but his father mm. insisted that he go on the mission. Maybe he knows more about Harry than you do. Apparently not. With any luck, he's already at Cutler's. I've sent all my available units up there in case they're already in transit. And if not, then to keep the line secure. If they get Sergeant Selden, they will have the upper hand. Doctor, we're running out of time. Before I risk my troops on two fugitives, one of which is a bit notorious, I'm going to need you to tell me what exactly all this is about. Before I say anything, clear your mind of all the assumptions I'm sure you've made so far. The import of this is not going to be easy to explain. Did I mention the part about the United States Army closing in on our border? All right. Look, we both believe that the corps are out to put us all into permanent subservience, right? Otherwise, none of us would be here. Fair enough. And we both know enough about the nature of parasites to understand that even though the citizens of the wired world don't see their corporate enemies, they are nonetheless present. Yes, I seem to recall that non-disclosure was my primary disagreement at the time of my defection, among others. Now take everything I've just said and that you've agreed with about the corpse, and let's apply it to something else. The Vorn. The same principles apply. By now you've seen the videos and studies, so we are no longer dealing with hearsay. Based on my conversations with Dr. Lilly, it seems pretty clear that we don't really know what we're dealing with at all. Dr. Lilly is a brilliant scientist, but he didn't create rewiring alone. He is not the only one who has been working on the Vorn issue. And you have. With Dr. Barrett, yes, and with the aid of others throughout the diaspora. I have no doubt of that. But the part that we need to get to is where this is more pressing than the defense of a rewired population against an invasion. Colonel Haley. Do you honestly think that the military offensive you are preparing to repulse is completely unconnected to the transit of Sergeant Selden and the revelations about the Vorn on the net? No, Doctor, I don't. What I need you to tell me is why. Because someone in Washington knows that we're onto something. Dr. Neidhart. Has she emerged? Yes. Rather dramatically, in fact. Then you know this is important. Even if you or we don't completely understand why yet, it's obviously a significant enough development for Washington to risk war on a border that hasn't been challenged in 28 years. Which, incidentally, is the last time Dr. Neihart was ever seen in public. Doctor, we're not covering ground here that I haven't gone over a million times in my mind. The fact is, I don't have any idea why I should stick my army's neck out for Selden. Except that you, Lily, Barrett, and apparently the President of the United States think that this man is worth risking a war over. Very soon, the Governor's Council will be deliberating over my fitness to command the Republic Army. I honestly don't know what they will decide, or if I'll be alive to find out. Vincent struggled for a grasp of which way the wind was blowing. Nina tensed. Lieutenant, escort these ladies to Dr. Lilly. They are to stay within his compound until further notice for me or whoever my successor may be. 
Visitors may only be admitted on Dr. Lily's say-so. Yes, sir. You people are going to find out what the hell is going on, or you're going to die trying. If I can, I will bring you Sergeant Selden. I have a few questions for him myself. And Harry. Haley stopped abruptly. A tiny smile attempted to crack the corners of his mouth. He appraised her. Like Graham, she was small, but strong-willed. Trustworthy, unaware even of her own secrets. The kind of person he fought for. Miss Golden, it so happens that there are two things in this world I'm very good at. Protecting civilians and kicking the shit out of Washington. This gives me a chance to do both. Nina let a smile of her own creep through her stony expression. Haley gave her a wink and was gone. been listening to the naive theater of the air performance of Rewired, featuring Levi Ray as Harry, Reed Perry as Lars, Stephen Prigmore as Ricky Cutler, Benjamin Napier as Mist, Keegan McEnroe as Colonel Levi Haley, Nancy Giamarco as Major Gonzalez, Hillary Tips as Lieutenant Stacy Graham, Andrew Turner as Captain Perez, Jack Bellamy as Robert Cowell, Akila Reardon as Curtis Bayer. Mana as Dr. Romana Vinson, and Trista Morris as Nina, written and narrated by Matthew Broyles. Theme music by Paul Shapira. I'm Little Jack Melody. Tune in next time for episode 17, A Clockwork Moloch. <laughs>